Hello, my name is Annie McManus. Welcome to Changes. How are you lads? I am speaking to you, looking out into the garden on a gorgeous summer's day. And I was just thinking actually before I press record on what a difference a day makes because this time yesterday I was um, pulling my hair out inside the house with two not well boys off school worried about all the work that I had to do in the next couple of weeks. So you know that feeling when you when things kind of start piling up and you feel a little overwhelmed. And then today suddenly everything is just glorious. Tomorrow is another day. So yeah, I hope you're okay. I hope you're enjoying summertime and getting a chance to feel the sun on your face. And I'm really happy to bring you a bit of a sunshiny episode actually to go along with the weather from someone who is just one of those people that lights up a room whenever he walks in. My guest today is the rapper, chef and huge television personality, Big Zoo. If you're not a Grime fan, you'll probably know Big Zoo for his TV show Big Zoo's Big Eats, which just won two BAFTA awards, the highest accolade in television, and has just returned for a third series on Dave. Zoo's big personality and total authenticity in being himself is what makes the show the success it is. He was born in London, just down the road from where I am actually, in a quite notorious estate called the Mozart Estate, just off the Harrow Road. And his mom came over here when she was pregnant from Sierra Leone, fleeing war, a refugee, and after five or so years of moving around, finally settled down in permanent housing uh, in the Mozart Estate. I first came across Zoo as a music fan. He is someone at the kind of epicenter of the grime scene, one of the originals, the grime originals, and uh, has obviously expanded beyond then and makes all different types of rap music. He's one of those guys that has all the respect of the scene and the rappers. He's kind of your rapper's favorite rapper type of rapper. Um, so I've known him from that world. Uh, his cousin is the hugely successful rapper AJ Tracy. Um, and yeah, he's, he's got a lot of respect but not like huge commercial success, I could safely say, in the world of music. It's taken his change into television to afford him that. He's now a permanent fixture on the telly. He's just hosted his own ITV breakfast show. He has a show called Hungry For It, which is done with Stacey Dooley on BBC Three, which is out now. And he's just turned his hand to acting in a new comedy sitcom called Sneakerhead, which is coming out this week. Big Zoo is changing the face of television. And we are so delighted to have him. So please enter the podcast, Big Zoo. How is life post being a double BAFTA winner? Is the phone off the hook? What does it look like now, the career prospects? Yeah, it's it's mad because everything I kind of like, I'm doing this summer, everything that's coming out is already done. So I guess the BAFTA's kind of just solidified more why those things are getting done. And I think it just added more eyes towards what we were doing. Yeah. So how are you in general? Are you, are you good? Are you in good form? I'm good. Me and my friends are going on holiday next month. No I'm going, way, I'm going away for two to? months. So I'm going Miami what? for a bit. Then I'm going to Colombia for like a month. Then I'm going to go Morocco. So I've taken two months off my diary and just said no work, nothing. Good, good, good. Leave good. me alone. Have you ever done that before? Nope. It's my first time in like... Oh my God. It's like my first time in I guess like eight years. That That's I'm amazing. Of two months to just go mm. enjoy my life. Is it right that you're going with Tubsy and Hyder? Yep, me, Tubsy, <laughs> Hyder, and then my other friend that lives with us. We all live in this house, so we we we, we live in a big house in Golders Green, which is very right. random. Yeah. Um, but we live like in the suburbs. It's so funny. We live in like a big family house, but we are not like a typical family. So all four of us are going. And today we was learning how to salsa in the morning. We put like how to we put how to salsa on YouTube and we were just in our living room just Wiggling like, the hips. I was holding Tubbsy's hands and that trying to learn he didn't I don't think he liked it but yeah <laughs> that's such an amazing picture I love that you lot salsa in yeah well, I hope you have the best holiday that's, that sounds like the trip of a lifetime no nah, it's gonna be mad it's gonna be mad yeah good let's go into our changes this podcast is all about change yep. we ask every guest three big changes in their lives. 
Tell me, Zoo, about your childhood change. So, I guess the biggest change for me was like moving around. Yeah. When my mum moved to England, it was during the, the Rebel War in Shelion. She was four months pregnant with me. So, when she got here, she stayed at a friend's house. I was born and we first lived in Victoria. Then we kind of moved, we moved around, we settled in Battersea for a bit. Right. And then once my mum broke up with my dad, because my dad was living in, in Sierra Leone, he was living in Africa. So once they right. broke up, my dad was just being a shithead. Things got a little bit more tough. So we moved, we moved in with one of my uncles, you know, like uncle, like family friend. Right. I had to leave his, went to a place called The Hotel, which is like this refugee kind of like asylum seeker place where people settle before they go into permanent housing. Lived there for two years. So up until I was about five, six years old, I had already moved like five, six times. So I was never settled in my childhood Mm. until I got to West London, until I moved to Fernhead Road, which is in, um, which is like, I guess the Maidavell area. Um, So I have like vivid memories of just moving around, not being settled, not having like a place I would call home for a long time. And then when I got to, when I got to Harrow Road, I was still going primary school in Marlebone. So no right. one really around me went to my primary school. So I was still in an area where I didn't feel connected to. Then by the time I went to secondary school, I didn't really know anyone because I didn't go to primary school with anyone in my okay. area. So a lot of my childhood, until I was about 10, 11, then I met my friends in secondary school, became close to them and I knew my friends for life. But mm. up until about 10, 11, I always felt like displaced. I didn't know where my home was. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So the only consistency you had was your mom. Yeah. Just being she was with home. her. Yeah. Being with her. And But for my mum, my mum was going through like transition in her life, going from like her mid-20s to her like late 30s so she was like mm. having to like try raise a child while in also enjoying her life and living her best life so I guess the biggest changes was fluctuating from where we lived my mum also growing older and, and like just understanding herself as a woman and then having to raise me at the same time so mm. it was challenging but I mean I wouldn't change it for anything because it made it made me and her the people we are today but in terms of changes, they, like life was consistently changing. It, it was, was never, change, yeah. yeah. It was constantly in flux. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder how that like manifests long term in terms of you, like how did that kind of starting life of constantly moving, have you seen any signs of how that's kind of ran through you in terms of that experience? Yeah, I guess it makes me crave like stability. Yeah. But then it also makes me not feel comfortable when I'm in one place, because I'm so used to moving around. So I don't feel like I could be settled. When I think about my future, I don't think about, oh, being here forever and settling down here. I always feel like I always want to move around, always want to be around new settings. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I also create that stability. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's kind of like finding that balance within what I knew growing up and then Mm -hmm. what I know what's best for me as I get older. So it's finding that, it's finding that medium. Yeah, and doing that consistency of keeping people close, yeah. as in your best mates yeah. who you live with and you work with, but still moving around physically, but having that consistency of people around yeah. you. Yeah, because yeah. my friends, my friends are my family. Because a lot of my family mm. live in back home, mm. um, I use my friends as my family. Like I don't have bare uncles and cousins and grandma, mm. auntie. All I don't have that here. So my friends are my stability. That's why I take my friendship so seriously, and me and my friends are kind of like closer because it's not just me that's gone through that all my friends that are growing up where we're from yeah. we all kind of had like indifference and and had to battle through changes so we kind of all use each other to lift each other up I mean your BAFTA speech was I mean they were both amazing the first one was so moving thank you um and so, like, you could just see the adrenaline running through you. And yeah, you could see the passion in what you were saying, talking about Hyder and Tubsy and where they came from and where you come from and your mum coming over. And it just felt so important in that room that you were there doing that. Yeah, it was it was weird, I guess. I guess being around the kind of people that we was around on a day, especially when we first got there and have the opening ceremony and everyone's having their drinks and stuff, and me and the lads are just in the corner drinking water 
not not having no champagne, not really speaking to anyone, mm. just everyone watching each other because everyone knew he was nominated, but right. no, like I guess when he was in the room, you got all these like famous people, big telly people, obviously people saying hi and stuff, but we definitely felt really out of place. So when mm. we sat down in the in the hall and they start the full ceremony, we kind of just sat there thinking, like it felt like we was kids in assembly. We just wanted to make noise and like disrupt it and not take it as seriously. Mm. So when we won, we went from like little kids in assembly to like big men with a purpose. Yeah. And I think, I guess what surprised people the most was that where we t- where I took it with the speech was obviously coming from where I come from, being like an ethnic brother from the hood, all that stuff. Like mm. it is important to express it, but I guess like we could have just relished in the moment and been happy to win. But when I watched that speech back, especially the first one, I'm almost angry and, and, and the anger, like the anger is what fuels the adrenaline because the Mm. anger is that I should be able to just celebrate and be like the rest of my peers who come up here and they're shocked and happy and filled with joy. Instead, Mm. we was filled with purpose and like had to get our message. Mm. And it's like us being that medium to expressing that, that kind of like, anger towards the industry it just resonated with so many people yeah but i guess why we was why i was angry not angry but i guess why it comes across like that to myself was that i just spent the whole day sitting there watching people celebrate and like yeah. kind of like be like living joy for the people mm. behind them who wait their show whereas my thing was like okay let's ex- explain why we're here it's kind of mm. like i almost had to give a disclaimer for w- why i deserve to be here yeah. But also why it's important that I'm here. And mm. I, and yeah, I think it was it was an interesting moment. Probably probably one of the most surreal moments of my life. It transcended and it, it touched so many people and like people stopped me on the street and they're like, yo, I listen to that speech every day. They're like oh, they talk man. about how it made them cry and how it motivated yeah. them and I, I just I'm like, yo, bro, I just went on the stage and just lay it out, but I, I'm happy that I like it led towards a little bit of social change because that's what we're here for, isn't it? Mm, mm. And the thing is, the way that you exist in the world of television, not that I know television that well, but it feels like it's such a world of like pretenses, isn't it? Like there's so, there's so many like airs and graces and ways of, there's even like a way of talking in television about television. That yep. That's quite, quite a, a niche way of talking about TV. And so much of it is about performance. Mm-hmm. But you're just you. And I think that's really, really rare. And I mean, you in, in all of your glory in terms of, you know, talking about your heritage, basically it feels subversive that yeah. you exist in television just because you are not performing. You are just being you. It seems like that. Yeah, it, it definitely. Um, the problem is that sometimes when you when, when you represent something or somewhere, yeah. when, you, when you're in that position, you get all this pressure to like answer every question so what's it like being a mixed race brother from there and what's it like being from africa and i don't represent every african i don't represent every mixed race guy i don't represent every ethnic brother but some when you're in these places especially in television sometimes you are the only ethnic minority you are the only working class person in the room you are the only Mm. person that's from your background so sometimes when i'm in these places like i do feel a pressure to be a certain type of way Mm. but then i also coming from music, which is so unruly, I'm very lucky. So I kind of just let go of, I don't care about the judgment that sometimes like transcends past me, just how I speak. Everyone has their telly voice. Like same way everyone has their radio voice. Everyone has yeah. that voice that they use when they're put under pressure and they're in the public eye. And we always find ourselves like talking a little bit more posh or yeah. announcing ourselves a little bit more like, oh, like when you, especially when you read auto cue or when you're on radio, mm, like having mm. to read, sometimes you're like, oh, hello, welcome to da 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 da. And yeah. it's like, wait, I don't speak like that. Yeah. So I kind of was very lucky that when I got into telly, I did years of radio and music and was able to kind of establish who I was. So when I made that transition, even though the lights are on you and there's all these new people who don't know who you are, I never like came to that, like, that pressure. Yeah. Because there of is conforming. a pressure. Yeah. yeah you have, like, and like you said, it's that performative, pretentious kind of like categories that we put ourselves in. And we all just want, we always want to like represent ourselves in the best way. But 
don't get, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I go on telly, people be like, who is this loud, over-the-top guy? Why does he speak like this? He can't speak English. I, people used to say I look like Big Nasty. And I used to think, what? Oh why, why do I look like Big Nasty? Because of how I sound and where I'm from. And like I remember first getting into telly and getting a lot of those tweets like, who is this Big Nasty? Who is this Big Nasty? But then it taught me it's because that's the only representation you've had of someone right. like me recently. Right. So... It's the easiest person to conf- to. It's just lazy. It's like they yeah. need to put you in a box. It's just lazy, isn't it? Yeah, and because because I'm similar to Nasty in the fact that I'm a musician and we both have the word big in our name, it's easy to call us the same thing. But me and Nasty are completely different. Yeah. We're completely different entities. It's like it's like saying Philip Schofield is Piers Morgan. Yeah. Because they're both white and they're both um, presenters. but it's easy for people to differentiate them because their character is completely different whereas I feel like people like me and Nasty we're considered to have one similar overall character so coming into telly for me the main thing was about breaking that down and I would just want to see more people like me and more people that are just different because then it just keeps breaking down more and more doors. What what was interesting is on the day of the BAFTAs, I can't remember the guy's name. I think he's from Sex Education, but he was he became the new actor of Doctor Who. Okay. And like, I remember the conversations around it. They're like, why does it have to be a black guy? Why does it have to be someone oh from God. this community? And people just don't like change until it's in their face. Because it was the same conversation when a woman was made Doctor Who. Mm. But Doctor Who is a random alien. That could be anyone, mm. mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So why does an alien have to have a colour? Why does an alien... Because it's what... Until there's the change, until there's the representation, people don't know any better. So we're at the beginning stages of the breaking down of these stereotypes, of these generalizations, mm. And mm. we kind of have to take in the brute force. And I remember seeing the guy who was made Doctor Who on the day, and we didn't really speak, but I remember just look, we walked past each other, we looked at each other, and we both... There was this energy like, we're both going through something mad right now. Yeah. At the same time, and we don't know each other, but we both feel feel that, mm. and what we're going through is mad. Mm. And I can I could I felt the energy that day, which was mad. Yeah. Um. And it, like it's really interesting that fact of you having this whole career in music, which we'll get to, of course. Um. And that basically meaning that you have a practiced expression of yourself, like yeah. a really truthful, honest way of being like you know of expressing yourself. And that serving you in television because yeah, you know definitely. how to be you. Yeah. You already know how to do that. One million percent. I think music gives you this. Like the best way for it is unruly. You kind of like just don't yeah. care how you express yourself because that is who you are. That's what gets you to where you are. People love you for you. So on telly, you kind of have to be like, you're like a spiritual character to deliver words. Mm-hmm. I always look at Laura Whitmore, what she does for um, Love Island. Laura's a really bubbly, just mm. incredible Irish lady, yeah? Mm-hmm. And she's so, she's so fun, so cool, so amazing, like, but people always batter her for a character, even though when she hosts Love Island, she's just the host. She doesn't even do anything outlandish. She doesn't, mm. like, express herself in a crazy manner. When she does After Sun, which is at the after show, mm. yeah, she's a bit more like herself. But when she's on the main show, she just walks in and says, you're coupling up with this guy. She has yeah. like little moments in the programme. She gets absolutely demoralised for who she, she is. I didn't yeah. know that. It's, it's crazy. Like, it's crazy. Like, a but lot of the... is so cruel. I yeah, can't handle it. She gets a lot of abuse just for being the host. And yeah. that is what you see in television. You see people don't even get to express themselves that much and get absolutely clattered because just because we all have this idea of what we think the perfect host is and the perfect mm. type of telly person and the perfect mm. type of whatever. And if it was a musician hosting Love Island, they're allowed to say whatever they want, do whatever they want, because people would be mm. like, oh, that's how they are. Whereas mm. Laura is not allowed to be how she is because she's a presenter. So yeah. she has to be a perfect presenter. She has and, to fit the mould. Yeah, yeah. And, and what's crazy is that um, God rest her soul you look at what happened with Caroline Flat, the amount of pressure mm. that she was under and Laura being good friends with her having to replace her mm. the amount of mental strain that there is but the public don't care and I think for me when I got into telly I was very mindful of 
how the public will can scrutinize you and and cheat you but luckily music gives you that kind of like that unruly factor where you're like i am who i am and i'm i'm used to performing in front of thousands of people going crazy and say screaming my heart out so in this room full of 30 people with a two cameras on me i, I can mm. be whoever i want to be but yeah, it's, it's yeah, weird. but music YouTube comments can be so cruel, but they're mostly about be about your flow or your lyrics or something. Yeah. Whereas on television, it's just you. It's like you know, it's you. You're more vulnerable in a way on telly because it's not like you're you're doing like a specific thing to critique. It's like you're just being zoo. Yeah, it's music. You get to control the lens. Yeah, you have artistic control over everything. Whereas when you're telling on telly. There's less, you have less control of the edit, how it's aired, mm. the wording used, all the stuff, how you're represented. You rarely see the final cut of something before it comes out. It kind of just comes out. That's like, the bit I hate the most about telly. Yeah. The fear of what what's that final edit going to be. Yeah. Like, whereas Big Eats is a bit different. When I work on Big Eats, it's called, it's named after me. I narrate mm. it. I have a lot of control over what goes into it. So... With that, that's why I'm so. That's why Big Geeks is what it is because we just say fuck it and we have fun with it. Whereas mm. when I go on these shows, like, and I go on these like very typical mainstream shows, you rarely have a chance of what you're gonna say. They normally tell you what you're about to say. They normally mm. have a conversation with you about what you're gonna do. They normally break everything down for you. You're just there, like, to just you can't. It's very rare that you can like. I, the reason why I have so much joy when I go on these shows is because. Yeah. The producer tells me, Zoom, we want you to do this, we want you to do it. And then I get on and it's live. So now I just do what the fuck I want to do. I'd, I'd say the weirdest things, as long as I'm not going to cancel myself and, 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 and like demoralize any community and make people yeah. feel bad, I kind of have fun with it. So when I go on like Sunday brunch or Saturday kitchen or this morning or this morning, all these things, I make sure, yeah, yeah, the producer will give me the earful, tell me what they want me to do. Don't be like this, don't be like that. Can you do And then I'll just go on and have fun with it because. I'm a bit more like, whatever happens, happens, innit? But then you see the backlash. Like, mm. I, I read an article the other day, which is crazy. Someone sent it to me. The headline was, Saturday Kitchen Viewers, I can't remember the word, like, either disgusted or astonished at Loud Chef. And I was like, and I read the article. And the article was like, a couple of tweets, just people saying, this guy's too loud, da 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 And for me, it's like, that's hilarious. Because I genuinely don't care. But, that all stems from a couple of tweets, people saying they didn't like me on the show equals an article. So someone might have never watched that show. They'll read yeah. the article and be like, my yeah. man's too loud. He's too, I never want to see him again. But mm. that is the power of like journalism and how people like kind of perceive you. But like I said, music people always got something to say. Mm. Music people critique your art. They critique, they critique what you spend hours making. Whereas mm. telly is five minutes of a moment of you that you get critiqued on. Yeah. So yeah. it's a little, like weighing it out, it's like, uh, people call my music shit. That hurts me a bit more than someone saying I was a bit loud on Saturday Kitchen. Yeah. Do you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, totally, yeah. I spent five hours in the booth trying to write this song. Yeah. You don't like it. You don't like my melody. It's a bit different to me going on saying, put the chicken in the pan. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since you've been on telly, which is what, since 2020 with the Big Eats stuff, yeah. how has life changed for you and how have you changed, if at all, as a result of being on telly? Um, my biggest change is when I'm outside. Yeah. I've been getting stopped since I was 19. I'm 26, 10 and 27 this year. So it's been eight years. Since 2014, I've been stopped on the street about who I am. Oh my God, you're Big Zoo. That has completely changed now. So before it used to be young people and music fans. Right. People people used to stop me because they loved my art. Mm. Now it's like continuous. Like people 
just look at man all day and they can't believe they saw man on telly tell tell, tell. and I used to think people used to complain about shit like that I used to be like why are you complaining about those are people that pay bills but it's not that I'm annoyed at it it's that I'm very aware that when I'm outside if I'm yeah. just walking down Oxford Street I can't be the same outlandish annoying person I used to be so you have to be a bit more low key bit more mindful bit more right. low key bit more self aware yeah and that's all it is and it's that and anonymity that's been taken away from me that I'm so mindful of Mm. and it it, you don't think it will play a part on your mental but it does it's a weird thing to explain but that's probably the biggest change from being on telly is like how much I get recognized and how that affects me because I'm such an outgoing person but sometimes you just want to be you in your normal space you just want to chill and not speak Mm. about telly but then because my work is so mainstream Everywhere you go, you're reminded that people watch you. So it's kind of impossible to kind of switch off. Yes. I'm not sure you understand that. I do. It's a weird one. My friends sometimes just can't be bothered. They know, because oh, it's too much hassle for them because you have to keep stopping and chatting. Yep. It's long for them. <laughs> and I find it hilarious. It's jokes. Because like, I got friends that are like hella famous. People like AJ and people like Dave and Storms. Mm. And like, I remember mm. growing up and being out with them and seeing it happen to them. They used to think, uh, like, sometimes they'll be like, oh, uh, not, not today. And they'll like not take pictures with people. And I'll be like, what the fuck are you doing, bro? Why are you doing that? And then I'll like, oh, now I'll you get, get it. it. But nah, like I'll always stop for people. I always talk to people. Always mm. make, because I always, I've realised that that first impression you have on someone is a lasting impression. So I kind of find myself in this mind state where I'm outside where I have to always be on. I'm always yeah. big zoom, never Zahair, mm. who is mm. who I am. So what you have to do then is try and find, what you're doing is like carve time and space in your life to be Zahair. Yes. So go to Colombia. Go two, to, you know what I mean? Months. It's like, it's make sure. <laughs> but if that's what it takes, like I go to Ireland for a month every year to yeah. do that. No, like check out. It's mm. super important for your well-being, mm. I think. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's like the older I get, the more these things become important. Whereas when I was a young musician, yeah, I was like, nah, fuck that. <laughs> Let's go on tour every day. Let's be in the studio till stupid o'clock, till 3 a.m. every day. Yeah. Go to every event. Like, yeah, music is so different to telly. Let's talk about music real quick because, I mean, I think in the world of television, the, what we were talking about is you being in your own lane. I feel like you're like that in music too, though. Yeah, like there's I a guess, line. I there's guess, a line definitely. in your Daily Duppy where you're like, I never did drip, drip, I did my own thing. Yep. And I felt like that sums it up for you because you just... It doesn't feel like you've ever sold out or tried to go down a lane because it's popular or hype or trendy at the time. Yeah. So tell me about that, like finding your voice and finding your place in grime as an MC. Yeah, I mean, it all stems from when I did uni, I went to uni to become a youth worker. Yeah. Dropped out to pursue music. And when I dropped out, I said to myself, I'm not going to leave a career of working with young people, helping young people to go and pursue a music career to just for wealth because mm. I knew as a person that's what it felt like selling out that's what selling out felt like for me is dropping out of uni to be a youth worker to help young people to go and make music to become lit so I always said my music always has to have a backbone of like youth work young people right. have a message whenever I was doing stuff in my career I always just kind of like went back to like who am I doing it for doing it for the young people so every project I put out a lot of my singles, a lot of my songs, always about like social change, young people, always have a conscious message. I've had fun as well. Like there's always the other side of like emceeing where like it's mm. gas and hype mm. and rave and all of that. I have that side to me, but I also have my real side. And I think that line you said, I never did drip drip. That was what it was about. Like, don't get me wrong now. Like I got a watch, I got a chain. Mm. Like I've got the elements of the stuff that I didn't want to become. But that's more for me. It's less about the stunt. It's more about the the appreciation of the hard work. Mm. I never did, like, I've only got this stuff now. Whereas mm. I could have got this stuff when I was an MC, when I was doing music, but I chose not to because I always knew that I can have this false image of a successful MC and it'll make people love, man. And I can do the boss down and have bare girls in my video and all these things, but I'll just be selling the message that I never wanted to sell. And where did that come from? That desire to give back and to have a kind of ethical purpose. I guess when I was young, I didn't know what I wanted to do in life. 
when I kind of got to the age of like 17, 18, a career advisor, she said, what are you good at? I said, I'm good at talking. And she was like, okay, <laughs> why don't you become uh, like, why don't you work in social care? Why don't you like work with young people? And talk? I said, how can I work with young people if I'm young? She said, she said, you have to start now. So my first ever job I ever got was working in a charity called City Year, mm. which was part of the National Citizenship Service where you work in schools. Then I worked for them. Then I started working in youth clubs. So for me, I just fell into it. I fell into working with young people. And I always felt best when I helped advise someone. Because mm. I went through so much growing up. Because I had a lot, I was in touch with a lot of my emotion. And I kind of always stayed on the right path because my mum was so strict on me going on the right path. But I came from where I came from. I came from the hood. I came from that background, mm. been around stuff, but I never went down the wrong path because of how strict my mum was. When I got into those positions where I worked with young people, I always felt like I was best able to advise them because I'm from where you're from, but yeah. I don't do what you might be doing. So yeah. they still listen to me, but they like I was that perfect medium of, you're going to take me in, but you're also going to respect me. Mm. Whereas I felt like some youth, work, youth workers were either too, they were too deep in it or they were too far away from it. Yeah, but we, Got we all have a good heart. But mm. like for me, it felt like my perfect job role because I'm from where you lot are from, but I don't do the madness that happens here. How did you end up not doing it though? Like what, you know, your mom was strict. Did you not feel like rebelling against that as any teenager would? Like as a mother of sons, yeah. how did your mum do it? I mean, you know the area that I'm from. I, I do. Mean, West London, Mozart. It's, it's, it's right in the middle of like this juxtaposition of yeah. the beautiful side of Maidavell, Paddington, mm. Elgin Avenue, all mm. these beauty, and then in between you have these mad rough estates, high level poverty. So mm. growing up, life wasn't easy, life was tough, but I used to go to the park and my mom would be watching, man, from the window, there's Ashmore Park and she could see Ashmore Park, I would see her, like I'm playing football in the cage and I could see my mom watching me. Yeah. You know the case. So I, was, yeah. my, I could see, like, my mom's there in the window. Yeah. I guess for my mom, because I was the only child at the time, because she went through so much to get me here, and she comes from Sierra Leone, one of the poorest countries in the world, very, very hard upbringing. For her, it's like, I ain't going to go through all of this to bring you here and let you just go Throw off the away. wrong... You, do you know what I mean? So mm. there was that extra, extra pressure. Don't get me wrong, at the time, I was like, allow it, mom. Like, let me be free. <laughs> yeah. Let me be with my friends. Let me go out. Let mm. me, like, when it's time to go home, like, my mom's calling my phone a billion times. She's coming downstairs, making sure I go upstairs. Whereas my other friends, they're kind of staying out and... Right, I got that, you. And it's not that they don't have that strong family background because they, they, or they don't have a strict mom because I think everyone has that kind of element. Mm. But I think my mom, it was just a bit more. Yeah. Where it was her on her own, no one around her, refugee, left everything behind. She So she put everything into me. So she came over when she was four months pregnant. What was her background? And how, even you telling me about your perspective of that, you know, moving four or five times before you're six. What that what must it be like for her? The stress of keeping yeah. you safe. I think, I mean, my mom's a strong lady, but it definitely has had a lot of impact on her mental well-being. Yeah. I mean, back in the 90s, 2000s, we did not speak about mental health. We didn't speak about mm. trauma. We didn't understand how these things affected people. My mum my mom just carried a lot of that weight on her shoulders. And now she's older. She's unpacking everything she went through. Mm. But she also has me as a son kind of like enjoying the fruits of her labour. All that hard work she done, like when she's on stage and we're winning a BAFTA, for her it's like, oh, all that shit was worth it. We also have a lot of luck on our side. Don't get me wrong, I work hard and all them things, but we are very lucky that we've got this outcome Whereas I know there's a lot of people that have been in the same position as me and don't get that outcome. Yeah. And I think it's more about like the support that women get when they are refugees in this country and they don't have a family structure. And my mum is the epitome of how the government was way better back in the day. The government had way more support. How the government supported me and my mum was really mm. important. Being mm. a refugee in this country now is almost impossible. They're sending people to Rwanda. Oh, babe, I can't. Do you know what I mean? And what but, must that be like for someone like your mum, watching that and seeing that? That must be 
just so distressing. Yeah, for her, I guess for her, she she my mom's always used to be like, Sue, don't say bad things about England. Don't cuss <laughs> England. Don't cuss the government. Stop they saying gave us a home. These... We're... Yeah, 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 yeah. All my music's mad political. I'll be like, ban the government. Rare, tear, tear. Mm. My mom used to be like, why are you saying that? No, God save the queen. These are good people. They yeah. they may have colonised my country, but I don't care about that. Do you know what I mean? And mm. now when she sees all these things happening, I think she's like, because I have more conversations with her, she's more like, raw. like, she does kind of look back and think things were way easier back in the day. Back in the day, you didn't have to have a lot of money to have an okay life. I do feel, feel really sad for the people that are leaving their countries to seek refuge in a place like England which is full of opportunity and full of support. And they they come in here to try to get a new life and they don't even get a chance. And that is like what's heartbreaking right now. Mm. And it's sad to see. And I think for my mum, they just kind of like reinforces how lucky we are. But yeah, definitely see what's going on in the world right now. People getting sent to Rwanda. People people not being allowed to seek refuge here. People not being allowed to settle down. People not giving, people not giving permanent housing. Mm. yeah but I think I'm the epitome of what can come from the government if the government does the right thing you can have people like me who can go from that to winning the highest accolade in television which is Mm. mental Mm. you know Mm. the start of your Big Zoos Big Eats there's a line where you talk about um, food as a way of showing love. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you a bit about that and ask you to tell me when you first made food and, and was there a moment in your kind of childhood where you remember actually creating a meal and, and it feeling like a certain way? Yeah, I mean, I first got into cooking when my mum was pregnant with my brother. And I just what wanted age to help. Were you? I was I was 10. Right. So my mum was like, six months pregnant with my little bro, Mr. Faroz. Mm. My mum was really tired, really drained, and she stopped. She just stopped cooking dinner. Right. So I was like, okay, mum wants to dinner. She's like, heat up something. I'm like, okay. We had some tortellini in the fridge, some pasta sauce. Cooked the tortellini, cooked the pasta sauce. And my mum was like, so this is undercooked. I said, no, it's not. No, it's not, mum. She's like, yes, it is. You're supposed to boil it for 10 minutes. I said, no, it's not. Took out the packet from the, fr- from the bin. It says boil for two minutes on the front. And she thought you boil dry pasta the same as fresh pasta. Right. So I taught her from watching all this Saturday kitchen and Sunday brunch and all this stuff growing up, watching a lot of food cook shows. I was like, no, mum, you boil fresh pasta for two to three minutes. Mm. And I remember that feeling of proving my mum wrong was like the greatest feeling in the world. <laughs> but then I also had the helping her, like the fact that I wasn't the best at chores, innit? Yeah. And like in an African household, chores are really important when you're young, mm. like cleaning the house, taking care of the house. That's like, you can have nothing in your fridge, but if the house is clean, it's fine. That kind of like helping mum cook was such a big part of like me having responsibility as a young man in the house. So the feeling of proving my mum wrong and helping her at the same time just made me fall in love with cooking. And then that's what made me fall in love with making pasta and tomato sauce, which is that, which is now my favourite food of all time. Oh my God, me too. Put cheese on it? A lot of parmesan, but not all yeah. the time. Pasta tomato sauce is so easy. I just think if you can make a basic tomato sauce, you're grand. Yeah. You're fine in life. That's it. That's I've only just learned though. I'm o- oh, okay. I've only just learned. How do you only make your tomato just. sauce? Um, Shitloads of garlic, yep. finely chopped onion. Yep. Um, I put in salt and sugar. Mm. Tin tomatoes. And that's kind of the base. And then that's I it. could add, I'd add stuff to that. I might add a bit of chili. And you just let it cook for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Boom. It. It's lovely. And, yeah. and, 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 and when you, once you learn that, you never use Domio again. Yeah, yeah, true. True, true. <laughs> the first time you cooked then was a situation where A, you wanted to help your mom, but yeah. B, it was like, well, I just need, I want to have some dinner. Yeah. So it's kind of function and also like, you know, trying to give back. But in terms of like being someone who cooks all the time, then it's true. Like when you grew older, you used to be the guy that cooked for your friends. Yeah. Um, I did catering in school. Yeah. Which taught me how to cook more. And then by the time I was at like 16, 17, I didn't have money in it. So sometimes I'd be at my friend's house and they'll be like, let's order pizza. It's going to cost everyone £10 each. I'll be like, bro, we're about to spend 50 quid on pizza. 
give me twenty pounds, I'll cook yeah. a better dinner for us. So I used to take like three pound each from the man them, and go buy macaroni, flour, butter, cheese, milk, um, chicken wings, and hella seasoning, and just make macaroni, cheese, and wings. That was like my number one dish. And I used to cook it for the man them all the time. And I used to cook it at AJ's a lot because we used to spend a lot of our time at AJ Chase's house. Mm, he's um, your cousin. He's my cousin. And mm. his mum his mom was a youth worker as well. So she used to open up her house like a youth club. She used to say, I'm I'm a youth worker. It makes sense that my house is a youth club. I'll finish college, go to Grove, chill at AJ's. That was like my everyday thing when I was growing up. I would say he's on Labbert Grove, mm. buy all the ingredients, cook at Chase's. All the t- I like perfected cooking in AJ's kitchen, which is so funny, so random. Okay, so you have the functional aspect and the money-saving aspect, but there must have been something that you enjoyed being you about cooking for people. Yeah, I just, you know, I enjoyed for two hours, instead of just sitting in the living room, just watching YouTube, I'll be downstairs doing stuff. I guess it was because like, I'm so hyperactive, want to do stuff all the time. Yeah, It was a bit of that. But then when I would take the plate upstairs and the man they would eat, they, it's, that, it's that appreciation that I would get. Yeah, from like so it's everyone, kinda, there's like there's like a people pleasing aspect. It's like yeah. you want to make people happy. Yeah, because I feel like everyone in their friendship group wants to do something for their friends. Yeah, and that was my thing. I couldn't, I wasn't like the plug. I wasn't the, yeah. the bad man. I wasn't like doing any of the the mad things that maybe my friends were doing at the time. So mm. I wasn't part of that life. So my thing mm. was like, how can I make my friends appreciate me? I just cook them dinner. Which is and indisputable. Yeah, like, nothing that beats is, that. That, it, that. Nothing beats that. Yeah, and I've bloody gone it's and the made ultimate. a career off it. So yeah. they, they always look at it like, hey, if it wasn't for us eating them chicken wings, boy. <laughs> it's all down to are, us. All, it's all, all that cooking that you did for us is what made you who you are. So yeah. Is there something else? Like you talk about being hyperactive. Is there a meditativeness? Is, that's probably not a word, but you know what I mean? Like, is it... Yeah. Do you get in a zone and do you feel like there's a bit of escapism in doing yeah, it? Yeah, when you when you cook, it's a lot of tranquility. The, the kind of like vibe that you get from cooking. When I was waiting for that Mac to go brown, I'd just sit there and look at the oven, just wait for the crispy top. Then you got, I used to always take it out and let it set. I'll never serve you a Mac straight away. So I yeah. remember taking out the Mac and all the men are just sitting around like, yo, let me eat it now. I'm like, no, 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 it's going to be better. I'm, the, I'm such an annoying person. When I cook, you can't taste it. You're not allowed. Oh, let me have a little bit. Nope. Let me just, no, no, you can't taste it. I guess I'm a quite a controlling person. Well, I was going to ask you about control. Yeah. Amateur psychologist here. Like, when, yeah. you know, if you grew up in a situation where you're, you know, your whereabouts were out your control and you're moving around, is there something about being in charge and having the beginning, middle and ends under your own control that is? Yeah. One million that. percent. Cont- con- like controlling it to the point where it's like, I don't want anyone to help me and I don't want anyone to taste it. I'm going to cook this food. You're going to have it. I'm the kind of person, if I'm going to do something, I want to do it to the best of my ability. And if someone helps me, then it kind of takes away from the fact that I did it. And yeah, okay. When I was cooking, that's what it was. It was like learning how to become better. Mm. How do I make this better? How do I working out all the like steps? And it was all of that time that I did spend cooking for my friends. It's what made me the chef that I am today. Mm. Because it gave me hours and hours of in the kitchen on my own mm. doing it. I mean, my first ever cooking video on YouTube is called Big Zoo's Kitchen. I make a Sunday dinner for Christmas and I cook macaroni cheese, I cook chicken and I make I make a side. And then it's that very cooking video that gets taken by a production company and they go, oh, we should make a show. Why don't we make like a cooking show with you? And then they make Big Zoo's Big Eat. So it all kind of just went in line. Last two change questions. So the adult change. I guess that's my biggest change as an adult is being on my own, not with my mum. So I moved out last year, last year, May. Okay. So I went through I went through lockdown with my mum. I was in the house. And as soon as lockdown ended, um, I said, it's time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move out. My mum never wanted me to move out. My mum wanted to stay to the end. But Oh my God, I, I, want, I want to keep my kids in my house till they're 50. <laughs> I mean, your mum did good with you, though. She did really good. She got to, what, 27, 20, no, that, that, I was 26? 20, I was 20, so I moved out when I was 25. That's the dream? Yeah, that's like the final age of you should move out. Yeah. Like, I went uni, but I never left London. Mm. I didn't really have a lot of money. So yeah. living on my own was never a thing. 
So when by the time I started doing well in music and making enough money in music, it's like, am I gonna go move out and you know, as a freelancer, as a musician, I'm not the most I'm not the most richest rapper of all time. So I can't really go get the AP and Yeah, go and it's do not regular. Writing. It's nah. not regular income, is it? Nope. So mm. staying home was always the best thing and mm. I was I was able to save money and invest mm. in my music and pay my mum her bills and have a good life, but I was still at home. Yeah. So then I say to my friend, I'm still trying to be, still trying to save money. So I go to all my friends. I go, you know what makes sense if we all live together because we work together and let's mm. go, let's get at like, this house where we cook all the time and live mm. together and think of ideas together. Ever since then, it's just being without my mum has been weird. Like having to go travel to go see her and having to be mindful of like when I'm doing my schedule and I'm checking in, not just going to see her for 30 minutes, like spending a day with her, then going out for food with her. All these things that I never used to have to be mindful of because I was just see her every day. The more time I spend a part of her, the less time I'm going to have with her. So every yeah. time I don't spend with her, it's time that I'm not going to be able to get back with her. Mm. And yeah, it's that's the biggest part of adult life. Is I always I always think about if I, if I lose my mum and when I do, I don't want to have any regrets. I want to make sure that I gave her the best life possible. Mm. And we we spent as much time as we possibly could together. But also I have to go live my life and go make money and provide. Mm. So it's it's a weird balance. That's the weirdest balance of adult life, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, how's your mom when you bring girls home? Ha! Um, do you know what? When I was growing up, I was in a long relationship. So, oh, were you? But that doesn't yeah. surprise me with what you were talking about, the kind yeah. of loyal. Yeah, I was in a long relationship. So... I, like growing up, I was never bringing gal, gal home. So for right. her, that's she was cool. She I was do. cool. But I now do. I'm out of my relationship. But I live on my own. Uh, I don't. I don't think she. I don't think she wants to be a fly on the wall. But it's cool. It's cool. Um, now nah, I've always had that kind of like mentality. It's like it's not mm. that. It keep mm. keep that away from your house. Whereas like, I got friends growing up. They used to bring girls to their house all the time. I used to be like, how do you do that? Like, oh my god. But my mum definitely. If I was bring, if I like brought a random girl home, mum would destroy me. So I never had yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, last question, Zoo. Change you would like to make? It's moving forwards. Yeah. I mean, you've made enough. You've made a lot. You could probably do without some, but if there is some, what would you like to do? I mean, there's two things. I think it's... Mm. So, fulfilling this, like, change within telly, social change, yeah. making it more acceptable to have people like myself on television, but people overall. Like, we need more women. Mm. We need more people from working-class backgrounds. We mm. need more people with more voices in telly. And not just on screen, not just talent, but all the way to the top of the hierarchy, the commissioners, the owners of channels, the editors, the directors, the the camera operators. We need we need a big refresh. And only being in telly for so for such a short amount of time, me being able to understand that is is crazy. Mm. So I'm sure I'm not the only one that thinks that. Would you start your own production company? I have. I got my mm. own. It's called Brilliant. Big Productions. Amazing. We got two associated producer credits. I'll soon have my own show, hopefully. Wicked. Made Wicked. by us. Mm. And we will be the change. So we'll have more representation. We'll have more ethnic diversity. And we'll have more inclusion. That is the ethos of my production company. And then my second change, I guess, for me, is having more patience. Having more understanding that, like, everything that I have has come in time. Mm. And it's taken building blocks. But when you're, like a young creative you just want it now you want the success now you want everything now I want things to pattern now I want to go on holiday now <laughs> I want to hit now I want the best TV show now and it takes time you got to be patient like even with the BAFTAs like we lost last year when we lost I was like fuck mm. never going to win next year I win too being patient is the most important thing and understanding patience and seeing the blocks, like seeing how time has worked, like you were talking about, you know, the the cooking for your friends, the YouTube, like everything has to happen in... Yeah. To make, you can't to rush make it. things happen. If you, yeah. Like even telly. Telly comes from me being on radio. The only reason yeah. why I think I'm okay at telly is yeah. because I work really yeah, hard man. on radio. Yeah. Because I did years of radio not knowing where it would take me. I just did it because I thought it was fun. Mm. And then now I'm on telly and I do auto-Q and people like to me, well, have you ever done auto-Q before? I don't know. They're like, so why, how are you good at it? I'm like, oh, it's probably radio. Mm. So it's like, everything happens in time. And I feel like where we're at now, we'll see where it goes. But I, I have a lot of fun in the food space. Hungry for it is like, 
the epitome of what I wanted to do. It's a cooking competition with young people yeah. from all these different backgrounds. Brings it all together. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, just if I can do that, if I could do Hungry for it for a million years and make big eats and do my little acting on the side, I'll Will you happy. still do music, too? Yeah, I'm going to the studio after this. Good, I'm good, gonna good, go good. link. I'm gonna go link Cara Marnie in oh, the studio. Wow. I, I met her recently. She has an incredible voice. Like I've taken a hiatus, so I've not released any music this year. Put mm-hmm. on my album in October, and I've taken time away. But went to the studio recently, made a song, and I'm like, "Ooh, <laughs> this is fun." <laughs> so going back to the studio today. Hopefully, gonna go make a banger. Okay. Well, listen. Thank you so much for your time. My G, Big Annie. Thank you so much to Big Zoo. I loved talking to him and catching up with him and just having the privilege of kind of documenting this moment in his life where it feels like he's really on the precipice of big things, but also, and importantly, kind of owning those big things, you know, having the kind of sense and the wherewithal to to kind of have his own production company and build things in a way that means that he and everyone else around him are winning in, in the most optimal way wishing Big Zoo all the success in the future and looking forward to seeing him way more on our television screens. Uh, speaking of that, Hungry For It is out on BBC Three now. You can catch it on telly on Tuesdays. Big Zoo's Big Eats Series 3 has just returned to Dave on Mondays at 10pm. Whole series is available to stream on UK TV Play. And Sneakerhead is out this Wednesday, 13th of July, also on Dave. Right, next week we have quite the episode for you I will be welcoming the Irish Double Olivier award winning actress Denise Goff onto changes uh, for what is to be a hugely revelatory sometimes difficult and painful recollection of Denise's story so far she's been so successful as an actress but there's been a lot of trauma along the way and you'll hear of this next week and uh, hear her very bravely talk about it don't miss it thank you so much for listening please follow and subscribe to changes leave a rating where you can it's such a buzz to know that you're listening and that you're enjoying it changes is produced by louise mason through din productions i'll see you next week thank you when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.